everyone and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. Today, I have an interesting and important topic for all startups on hiring. And my guest today is Michelle Melbourne, co-founder of Komol, which is a boutique executive search consultancy firm, which offers search services for fast-growing tech companies across UK and Europe. With over 20 years of executive search and recruitment experience, Komal has successfully placed candidates in over 140 VCs and private equity-backed European companies. Komal is also a strategic partner to Notion Capital and is part of their expert program. Michelle is a regular speaker on the SaaS circuit where she talks about her experience in building the best leadership teams. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Anita. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So, uh, Michelle, maybe we'll start off asking you how you got into this. Is this something that you always knew you wanted to do? No, no. Actually, after university, what I really wanted to do was get into the stock market and be a trader. I thought that was incredibly exciting. So I trained and qualified and, and I was working with Morgan Stanley in the States, actually. But after about a year and a half, I realized that that wasn't the world I was going to want to spend the rest of my life in. And actually, it was my boss at Morgan Stanley who was asking me, what are you interested in? And I said, well, I'm really interested in tech, but I've, I've no idea how I'd move into it. And he said, well, actually, a really good friend of mine is just opening a new office of a tech-focused recruitment business, and I think you'd be great. So I took the role, actually, initially, just because I thought it would be a great perspective to learn about the tech world and how companies worked. And it's over 20 years now, and I'm still still on this side of the fence, but absolutely loving it. Um, I guess I'm lucky. I've built three search practices from scratch now over the last few years, and each one has got more and more niche in its focus. So I've kind of laser-focused on the piece, which is how, how do you create super high-performing senior leadership teams, um, put them around founders? Okay. Okay, Michelle. Next question. So okay. we're getting to the point where the economies in Europe are starting to open up a little bit. I assume hiring took a deep um, plunge. Are you seeing that come up? Are you seeing it come up in certain pockets? What are you seeing in terms of the impact of COVID on the recruiting business uh, for tech? Okay, so the first couple of weeks, actually everything was moving ahead as, as normal. And then kind of the end of March, everyone... I think realized the the significance of what was happening, and we did see uh, a big change. So, around two thirds of our live briefs were put on hold, and the pipeline of new business dropped down to what. Luckily, at Comal, we we always have more work coming in than we can take, uh, which puts us in a great position of being able to be quite picky, and that that slowed right down. So over the last couple of months, things haven't stopped. In fact, we've made three, four placements, which is great. We've won three new briefs. So that we haven't nice. spoken about yeah, uh, pre-COVID at all. Um, a couple of the searches that we were midway through, we have actually been told that they won't pick up. So companies are looking much more carefully at their growth plans and the expected fundraisers that they have coming in. 
But I'm very positive, actually. What are they hiring for? Are are people going ahead with certain type of roles, but then putting a pause on some other type of roles? So sales and the go-to-market piece seems strong. Um, Okay. Product, actually. If I look at the pipeline that we now have built up for searches we're waiting for final contracts on, two of the three are senior product roles. Okay. And uh, the other one is a CRO. I think... What we're seeing is that companies are continuing to expect to grow. They are being a little bit more cautious about what hires they are making and when, especially at the C-suite level, which is where we're, we're focused, because it's a significant cost to the business. But if you are continuing to run your business, the, those roles remain critical to the business. From what I'm hearing in companies that work a level down, the mid-tier looks fairly solid as well. I see. So I think it will take probably a couple of quarters before we're back to our normal uh, run rate and volume of work, realistically. Things are moving more slowly in terms of the length of process and Mm. getting approval. But we've just done a large outreach to a number of CEOs to take stock on how they're seeing the, the future of the market. And it was overwhelmingly positive. I was very pleased to, to hear, actually. Okay. Well, that's really good to know. Next question. So how do you go about finding a person that's going to have the right skills and is going to fit into the culture of the company? Like, what's the process? Wow, um, this million-dollar question. This is what everyone asks us when they start working with us for the first time. So it's it, there's a couple of different aspects to that. First of all, you've got to really take a good hard look at where you're starting from and understand the business and the sector and what that business is trying to do in it. So lots of early-stage companies will raise a fund. They say, we need a VP of sales, we need a VP of product or a CPO and COO. And they'll start with a job spec, but you've got to go a lot deeper than that. You really have to start with the end in mind. So if you have just raised your series A or you're you know, a few months past your series A, you the clock is already ticking. The minute VC money goes in, you are under pressure to transform that business prior to the next round or else you won't get that next round. So start with where that functional hire you're going to make needs to be six months, 12 months, 24 months from now and work back. So it's starting with a job spec, starting with where are you, where are your revenues, what's your churn rate, all the metrics that would be most relevant to the specific hire. And then look, where does this hire have to get us to? Once we've got a questionnaire called the search navigator, but it's essentially just a very detailed process of looking what will success look like for us and for this person that we hire. Then we will go out and map out between 80 to 100 companies that have gone through that journey over the last few years. So actually, Unbabble was a client of ours that we worked with. And and we started working with them when they were tiny. It was uh, the founders and, and 24 developers, essentially, were putting the first commercial team into place. So we knew they, they had a couple of million in revenues, probably even a bit less, and we knew we had to really grow that significantly to get their Series B. So we mapped out a list of 
organizations that had recently done that kind of uh, really aggressive, successful revenue growth. And then we pinpointed the individuals within all of those organizations that had been leading sales, the CROs and VPs. And then it's a process of figuring out who was on the bus and who was driving the bus. So which ones were genuinely the agents of change, the ones who set up and achieved that, that revenue growth. And then that's how you create your target candidates, rather. Now, that search I loved because we, we give a wide range of candidates for companies to look at. And I always like to really punch above our weight. Now, go for the, the absolute top caliber individuals in the market that there are, full stop. We'll search globally. We'll search predominantly it's across Europe, but we'll often go into the U.S., and at the end of that search, they actually hired the, the highest level candidate we managed to bring to the table, and they hired the, the hottest up-and-comer. We had a two-person team, and that was phenomenal. They delivered 400-plus growth in the first 12 months. That's what I love to see. Well, that's a great case study. So you, you talked about timing. When should the founders, the CEOs, start thinking about the commercial team hires? Yeah, it's... Yesterday, you should have been thinking about it as as early as possible. That's actually one of the the most frequent mistakes we see. We typically get introduced to our clients by the the investors that have just put in a round. So we get introduced prior to or post a round of funding. We'll sit down with them and talk about what are the plans, where you're looking to get the business to over the next couple of years. But so frequently, by the time a company has decided to make a hire, they have underestimated how long it will take, A, to run a really strong hiring process. Then you've got the notice periods and, and leave that people have to work. And then, especially if we're talking about commercial roles, a good VP of sales or CRO will have at least one to three months notice. And it's going to take at least three months for them to really get into the business and up and running and be able to start affecting change. So from the beginning of thinking you want to hire, to having someone in place that can actually change your bottom line, it could easily be nine months, sometimes up to a year. And people underestimate that. It's equally as as important for the lower level positions, by the way. So plan in advance as early as you can and keep planning. Know where you think you need the team to be 12 months, 18 months, 24 months out. That's, that's, I think, really good advice in terms of the planning. I had no idea it was such a long time frame. Okay, question on, you've obviously recruited for different roles, CRO, VP of marketing, lots of different roles. What's the toughest roles to fill today? Mm-hmm. What roles are really hard to find talent for in Europe? Good question. Product, that's, it's, it's actually easy. So we work across the C-suite, as you were saying. CPOs and VP of product roles are amongst the most challenging. It's not a matter of reaching the VPs and CPOs of product. At at Commel, we've mapped out the European marketplace in depth. So we'll constantly track around 500 companies, VC or PE-backed companies that have been scaling rapidly, most B2B and B2C SaaS. And we'll know the CPOs or VPs of products within them. So actually finding the people is not hard. But the reason it's so challenging is actually twofold. I think 
out of all the, the areas, it's one that's least understood by the senior management teams and boards. So it's very hard to get alignment and agreement as to what exactly they are looking for in that role. And I think a lot of the, the top senior product leaders concur with this. We, we have dinners and, and events and uh, training sessions to make sure that we're staying on top of the market. So as a, as a senior role, it still lacks definition and agreement that other roles like a CMO or CFO or CRO would have around them. And secondly, because bluntly, we're still a, we're still a way behind the US market in terms of the amount of senior product individuals that have genuinely had a chance to own the full product remit end-to-end in companies that have scaled at the trajectory that our clients are looking for. It's growing rapidly and it's unrecognizable from five years ago. We've we come forward so much in, hmm. in the last few years in terms of recognizing the role, where it should sit, its value within the business. So especially in a role where there aren't that many candidates that have done that scale, do you find founders and CEOs looking at hiring people with unconventional backgrounds or are they looking for people that have just done it, repeated it, and, and they're going to do this now the third time? And what's your view on that? Interesting. Great question. So when people come to us, they're not coming for unconventional They've got an idea. What they're paying us for is to get them what they want. And they want someone that's scaled and built a product organization, for example, if we keep using this skill set from you know, a couple of product managers, maybe the, the, the organization's predominantly engineering-led, and they want to create a product-focused culture within the business, scale the team from 2 to 10 um, in a company that's hopefully gone from 10 mil ARR to 40, 50 mil ARR. So they're coming to us to find them exactly what they want. Our job a lot of the time is to help them understand that actually that might look ideal, but being a little bit more creative in how you're looking at it and being really realistic as to what do you actually need over the next 12, 18, 24 months. I think to create real, uh, real strength of uh, innovation and resilience and adaptability, which is what you're always looking for in an early stage scale-up team. There's there's huge benefits to having people from very different backgrounds and different levels of experience. But that's kind of what the tough love is in our uh, logo, is helping founders work through what looks great on paper and what will actually genuinely deliver what they need in the next couple of years. Interesting. So looking at it from the candidate's point of view, why would I want to join another company and do the exact same thing? How do you motivate me to join a a startup? Is it just money or are there other factors that you've seen work? It's never just money. And it's a great question and something that's really important and not often thought through enough. For a successful hire, one that you're, you know, you're both going to be really happy with the placement 12 months, uh, 18 months, 24 months later, understanding the motivation of the candidate is absolutely crucial because a lot of people, they can get very excited at the idea of a startup and it can seem quite sexy. The founders will invariably can be very compelling and passionate and they can sell the story very well. 
but understanding is there really a a long-term fit is this role going to give the candidate what they want out of their career trajectory in the next couple of years as well as ticking the boxes of what the, the company wants and of course everybody's different there are a number of individuals I've been working with for years and some of them love going on the same journey over and over again I've got candidates who specialize in growing companies from one to 10 mil ARR, doing that stage of the journey really well, collecting hopefully uh, a decent amount of equity on the way, um, earning some great money, loving the buzz. And then they, they reach the limit of where they're strongest at adding it, step out and go and do it again. And that's, that's a really valid career path. For others, if you're looking to become CEO one day or CMO and you're currently VP of marketing, that's not going to appeal. You're going to want to be, have more stretch and a broader ring of responsibilities under your belt and a company that's going to be open and able to give you that. If you present the opportunity really openly and it doesn't grab them, they're not going to be the person for the job anyway. Got it. Okay. Um, I don't know if you are hearing this a lot more, but I did want to touch upon diversity and inclusion. Do you find that that is a criteria you are asked to look at when you're looking at candidates? Is it something that's just new that you're seeing being asked? Or is this something that often comes up in discussion in your um, conversations with founders and CEOs? No, it, it, it comes up Often, and it's certainly not new. In my business prior to Comel, actually, we had kind of a brand recognition of our focus in trying to work on diversity. If I think, look back over 20 years, what's frustrating is we're still not that much further forward than we were 20 years ago in the amount of candidates, whether you're talking racial diversity or gender diversity, neurodiversity, it, it's still very homogenous. Um, so we have some searches live right now where we the clients have made it extremely clear that what they're looking for is to bring diversity to their board. And so the searches we're doing them, it's, it's critical because the rest of the board are all middle-aged white guys. And so, yeah, c- companies are very aware. The, the struggles remain. There, there aren't enough candidates from mixed racial backgrounds at the senior levels. And that's because we haven't tackled it grassroots level on the way up. I think there's a lot of unconscious bias. I've had companies come to me that talk about wanting to hire, and sometimes they do, but they maybe aren't aware how much unconscious bias there is within the organization to set up and enable those hires to be successful. And even in the hiring process, I think there's still unconscious bias. I think that's a, it's, it's an important conversation to have because I don't think it's just limited to let's widen our pool of candidates so we have gender and race diversity. It starts from how you put the job description together, right? Mm-hmm. The interview process itself and how mm-hmm. that's carried out. And then, like you said, setting this person up so that they succeed because obviously this is an important criteria for you. Maybe it's not something that you've currently have in your environment. So you need to change a lot of things there. So I think 
it is a larger conversation than just saying, let's widen the pool of candidates because we now yeah. care about diversity and gender equality, et cetera. So that's good to hear. And hopefully it will only continue. Okay, Michelle, next question. Could you tell me what are the differences in the hiring traits between companies that are most successful versus those that do well, but maybe grow at a slower rate? Interesting. I I think there are definite tendencies of the most successful companies and definite uh, differences in their approaches to hiring. Actually, Notion Capital released a piece of research a few months ago. They've actually mapped out a number of companies, uh, unicorns, and looked at the amount of experienced hires and the, the years of experience that they were hiring in compared to companies that were less successful in the long run. So still, the the less successful category would still be companies that had grown to valuations of 100 million or a few hundred million, but they definitely weren't anywhere near the, the unicorn level. And one of the clear findings was that the companies that went on to become unicorns and the most successful hired in more experienced people and more of them much, much faster. So... If we look at a company at you know just post Series A stage, so they haven't necessarily got a great brand in the market, they'll only have a few million raised at that point. The companies that went on to be the most successful were hiring VPs or C-suite hires across the different functions much faster. In fact, the the study showed that after the first year post Series A, the companies who went on to be the top had 35 years more experience in their senior leadership team than the company that went on to be good, which is kind of obvious when you look at it that way. If you just brought in 35 years of relevant experience scaling up an early stage tech company in your sales department, in your marketing department, in your finance department, then clearly that's going to give you an edge. As we know, it's not necessarily the companies with the best tech that will be the leading competitors in any particular market segment. It's ones with the the best teams and those that adapt most quickly to whatever the changing situations are. And that brings me on to another point. I think building real diversity across the team. And I mean diversity in every aspect. So you've got different levels of experience. So people who've really genuinely been there and done it, not just once, but maybe a couple of times over, with the hottest graduates that you can attract people from a mix of different ethnic and gender backgrounds. If your senior leadership team isn't reflecting the target user base that you're going after, why? That's definitely a trend that we see in the companies that we're working with that are growing faster. They're building it in from day one and looking to really have a senior leadership team that reflects the user base that they're going after. And diversity, we're calling it neurodiversity, but no different ways of thinking and different Mm. approaches, personality types. Essentially, to build resilience into a senior leadership team and to create a senior leadership team that's genuinely innovative and able to keep challenging current, you know, existing ways of thinking. And that brings me on to another point. You need diversity of thinking and approach and experience, and you need to create a culture of openness. If you don't create that, that real culture of openness and acceptance, you can hire in top talent, but you're not actually getting the best out of them. 
So that's diversity, years of experience, oh, and planning, planning in advance, planning much longer ahead than maybe you even think you need to. The top companies will have their recruitment plans sketched out, and they know things might change, but they're sketched out at least 12 months in advance, and they are ready to go. In fact, some of them may have even started the hiring process on senior leadership hires before the funding hits the the bank account, but they're Mm. ready to go. So the minute that Series A drops, they're not spending the next three to four months deciding whether they need a VP of sales and when to hire a VP marketing. They've gone out, they've taken the advice of people on their board, looked at the um, experiences of other companies in the market, and they've identified what hires they need to make and when, and they're getting them in as soon as possible. And the truth is in the VC back world, the minute a round goes in, you've got 12 months or so to transform that business. And if you haven't, you're going to be on that series B cliff. So you can't afford to wait a quarter or two to start your recruitment process. It has to be ready to go immediately. And then one thing that I found fascinating in the, the notion capital piece of research was that the tenure of senior leadership team individuals in the companies that went on to become unicorns was shorter than the average tenure of senior leadership members in the companies that didn't. And they didn't see people staying for a couple of years doing a great job and those individuals moving on and someone else coming in on top of them as any kind of failure. They saw it as success. Interesting. That's really solid advice. Okay, I'm going to change the conversation a little bit towards the recruiting process itself. And one of my first questions there, and maybe a lot of other startup founders and CEOs have this on their mind is, why do I even need a recruiting agency? I have LinkedIn, which is a fantastic tool. I can just get someone with some experience in recruiting and unleash these tools and probably the other tools like it. Why do I need a recruiting agency? When do I need a recruiting agency? Okay. Good question. And that's one that obviously I've heard many times over the years. And LinkedIn has become a really strong baseline tool for research. So you don't need agencies and you certainly don't need such exact firms for every single hire in in your company. But when you do need them is when you no longer have the time to spend on recruiting the very best people, because we're always looking for the best people, or you don't you no longer have the personal networks or the experience on really how to tell the difference between a mediocre candidate, a great candidate, and someone who's truly transformational. So I was doing some work with one of the researchers, that's our head of research here in Conwell this morning, and we were looking at LinkedIn. And if you just start with a VP of sales within the London area, 39,000 profiles up there. Anyone who's posted a, a job on LinkedIn now will be familiar with the fact that you, you can get hundreds of responses back. So the first element is, do you have the time or does the person that you've hired to maybe run your sales or marketing team, do they have the time to be sifting through thousands of profiles? Once those profiles are sifted through, do they actually really understand your market and space and all of the companies to be able to effectively stack rank those profiles. So let's say you get 39,000 on LinkedIn down to a few hundred. 
and that's what you're you're paying for. Agencies and specialist search firms should not only have relationships with the top people in the space already, they should be able to understand the companies and backgrounds and profiles to be able to stack rank them a lot better. And they should be able to understand how to interview in depth any agency, whether it's a contingency agency or if you're going up to a proper C-suite search, they should be spending two to three hours interviewing those different candidates for you and then distilling that down to a short list. And then I think reach, and this is really important, whether you're looking for the the top 10 developers graduating in the London area and are going into their first jobs or C-suite, whatever level, the the top candidates in the market, typically the ones that we really want, will be getting bombarded with phone calls and emails on a weekly basis. So if you genuinely want to reach the top individuals in the market, you need not only to figure out who they are, but how are you going to get in front of them? And that again, that's what you're paying the agencies who have really specialist insight into the roles that they recruit for or the stage of business that they recruit for. They can pick someone's interest in a different way from a random cold email response from a small company mm-hmm. they may never have heard of before. Mm-hmm. So it's not only finding the people, it's getting time with them uh, and actually being able to present the the opportunity that you have properly to them. And then it's the experience of really digging down and interviewing them. Got it. Okay, Michelle. So um, I'm curious to hear your advice for founders and CEOs on how to find a good recruiting agency. What should they be looking for and anything that they should do in advance of getting a recruiting agency on board? Okay, good question. So in advance of, it, of going out there, be real with what your current situation is. So let's say it's a, a VP marketing role. Try and get as much information as you can as to what is the current situation? What data are you tracking? What's going right? What's going wrong? So that the search firm or recruitment agency that you start talking to really has an understanding of, of where you are and then as well as where you need to get to. Secondly, I think work through referrals and recommendations and take references. Never ceases to amaze me how many companies will kind of skim through the reference stage. If you're going to spend money and have a search partner represent you, you should be doing your referencing on them too. Spend time with them and look at the questions that they ask. Uh, How much do you think they really will be able to get your business? Do they get your space? Do they get your stage of growth? If you're early stage, scale up the stage of growth and their understanding of it, it's an entirely different CFO or VP sales or VP marketing that you need at one stage of growth to the next. So are they digging in and really finding out where you are? And if they're not, that's possibly reflective of the, the, the fact that they're not going to be able to judge candidates effectively for you so well. And that takes a bit of time, you know, at least an hour, an hour and a half to two hours in-depth instruction around that and, and checking what they're asking. And then finally, I think someone that you like and, and you can get on with, because these people will be representing you in the market. Would you want to take a call from that individual? If you are really looking to attract the top candidates in the market, they're going to be getting called three, four, five times a week. 
and you only get one chance to make a first impression. Nice. I think that's very good and valuable advice for the audience listening. Okay. And one last question, Michelle, could you talk me through how recruiting agencies are typically compensated and what startup founders and CEOs should be aware of in terms of costs? Yeah, absolutely. So if we think about how much are you going to spend on your recruitment, if we go back to what we were talking about earlier, as you know, absolutely do as much in recruitment yourself directly as you can through LinkedIn um, or with job boards. And that aspect, you're going to be paying for individual job postings and then sorting through all the applicants and interviewing them yourself, but it's by far the cheapest. If you get to the level that you say, I don't have time or I want a specialist recruiter who understands the skill set, let's say um, product or engineering, then you can go to recruitment agencies. They will cost you anything from 10% up to about 25% of the salary that you pay those hired. Um, And in return for that, they will post job um, postings around their own personal networks and on multiple boards and they'll do the screening of all those candidates who respond and reply to those. Um, And then they should help you a little bit with the interview process as well. They'll present you a shortlist and support you through to hire. Um, If it's a really critical role, um, once you get to VP and C-suite level, um, most companies and most investors will then shift up to using a search firm, they are paid differently. So I guess their, their salary, uh, their fees will be based on anything from 30% to 40% of the base salary, or let's say 25 to 40%, depending on the search firm of the base salary. Some of the larger um, global exec search firms will charge on the full OTE of the candidate as well. So it's a significant cost. You're looking at anything from... 35 to 70K per placement. I'd say the average is probably around 40 to 50 um, K in the UK exact search market for early stage, uh, which is a big commitment. However, if it's someone that is going to have responsibility for doubling the value of your business over the next 12, 18 months, the difference in that price point, the extra 10, 20, 30k or having someone reach out to the number one individuals in the market and take them through a really thorough process should hopefully pay off <laughs> multiple dividends um and okay. then it's going to happen over to them okay and is there like a is there like a, a clause or something so you know I, I hire i get an agency they find me the right hire but then doesn't work out like is there any recourse uh, yeah, and every firm will have its own uh, own conditions and guarantee periods. If you are working with a recruitment agency, they are bringing you the best candidates out of all of those actively looking and wanting to make a move on the market. Um, so they can they will work fast because those people will often be in other interview processes as well. They'll get you candidates fast. You can hire them. Um, Sometimes the success rate won't, the, the long term success rate of those placements will also churn faster, especially if it's lower level hires where you'd expect that. So, agencies will often have a uh, refund policy. So, if you've hired someone and they don't last in the first three to six months, then they'll refund the fees. 
um, or run the search again. Uh, for exec search firms where you retain them and it's a much more in-depth process, um, you know, if, you, if you're pulling someone out of a job, they weren't actively looking, you're going after them and pulling them in and they don't work and you're paying a big fee and there you don't work out, that's a significant failure for the candidate themselves, for the company and the search firm. Um, so most exec search firms will rerun that search again, but they don't uh, do refunds in the same way as recruitment agencies will. Okay, great. But everyone will have their own T's and C's. Okay, got it. Okay, I'm going to go to the last part, which is a rapid fire round where I just ask you some quick questions and whatever comes to the top of your mind on those um, would be much appreciated. First question, what's your favorite European city? Probably Paris. I love a lot, but I've been there the most. What's the yeah. one thing you would recommend people should Go in the summertime, have a picnic, dangling your legs off, watching the Seine and watching people go by. It's almost like a beach culture all the way along the Seine. And that's just lovely. Yeah, it is a lovely city. Um, what do you like to do outside of work? I, I love to travel, hiking, trekking, doing some kind of wild camping or things like push myself a little bit to, to the edge of my comfort level. Well, <laughs> that's really cool, Michelle. I love doing that too. In fact, for our honeymoon, we went camping to Africa. That was my honeymoon 20 years. Oh, wow. Any hiking places around London, UK that you would recommend in case we can't travel anywhere for the summer? Well, I was supposed to be doing the Highland Way this summer. And I think I might still be able to do that. It's like a hundred mile section of the Highlands, which is just spectacular. Wow. Um, and if we can get away, um, one place I'd love to go again would be Nepal. So those treks around Nepal have been some of the most incredible things I've ever done. I think that's Nepal is definitely on my list as well. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining me on this show today. I enjoyed our conversation on this very important topic and I really appreciate you making the time to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it was a real pleasure and uh, always, always lovely working with you, Anita. 